Tough times. I imagine so. In St. Augustine, <clears throat> we um, had less luck. The police chief had grown up through the ranks. Just back when they would club and do all kinds of hay men, hay, mayhem. And um, <clears throat> so he was not a good police chief, bad police chief. Mm-hmm. I tried to get rid of him. That cost me my job. Mm. Then you'll have the strength to fight tomorrow. Then you'll have the strength to fight tomorrow. Welcome to the new hip, the podcast determined to make older folks relevant. For today's interview, I sit with OK Armstrong, who not only has the best name out there, he also has an incredible life story as well. In World War II, he left for Japan after the atomic bombs had been dropped, and what he thought might be war was actually rebuilding. Then he became a city manager in the South in the 60s, forced to go up against bigots in the sheriff's department within his city. It's going to be a good one. But first, let's talk about the people that helped make this happen. The new hip features the music of the Jin J X Group's album Songs for Liz. The show is brought to you by the Springfield, Missouri Convention and Visitors Bureau. Why not give yourself a weekend in Springfield, Missouri? A weekend of unforgettable family experiences, outdoor adventure, unique dining options to satisfy every palate, craft breweries, live entertainment, and more. A weekend in Springfield, Missouri where a masking ordinance is in effect, along with social distancing guidelines to keep you and the rest of the community safe. Visit springfieldmo.org to start planning your weekend trip to Springfield, Missouri. I visit it every day. It's also brought to you by the History Museum on the Square. They were voted the best new, best new attraction by the readers of USA Today. All right, it's time to make older folks relevant again. It's time for the new hip. Hip. Then you'll have the strength to fight tomorrow. I joined OK in the conference room of a local home health provider. They were the ones who had connected me with OK when I reached out and said, is there anyone you know that has an awesome life story? They said, you need to talk to OK Armstrong. OK had a really interesting father as well, and we start the conversation there. Your name's OK Armstrong. What is the I'm Junior, yes. Junior. My father was very prominent here in the Ozarks, a congressman. Okay. And um, a writer for Reader's Digest. Oh, is that right? Yes, he was a journalist for sure. Yeah. In fact, he went to Florida as the founding father of the University of Florida School of Journalism right wow. after he graduated from the Missouri Journalism School in Columbia. Mm-hmm. I was born there in Florida at the journalism school. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, I know um, Reader's Digest had, was in like every home for decades, wasn't That's it? right. It was a really prominent and very good magazine back in those days. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure I could brag about it nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dad wrote more articles than any other writer for Reader's Digest during his era. Oh, yeah? He didn't. And what sort, of, what sort of topics did he cover? They were politics, world events, mm-hmm. and um, family life, all kinds of topics. Yeah. Okay. So, so you were, can I ask you what year you were born? 1927. 1927. Yeah. Okay. I'm 91. So, um, so tell me about growing up 
growing up around here and I guess probably pretty soon after you were born the depression hits. I was in the depression, you're right. Mm -hmm. right. Dad got the house during the depression. He um, had my brother and me and my mother in a little rented house on Clay Street. Mm -hmm. He got in the car to drive around the neighborhood and see what other house was available. When my sister was to be born, mm -hmm. he spotted this big house at Benton and Lynn vacant, standing open. So he walked in and looked around. It was a marvelous interior with beautiful woodwork. And next door lived Ed V. Williams, a prominent merchant and mm -hmm. successful businessman. And he came over and said, okay, they knew each other. Mm -hmm. He said, okay, how would you like to own this house? <laughs> My father said, well, it's out of the question. I couldn't buy such a house. I said, well, maybe we could work out something. So they negotiated a little while because the fraternity, Sigma Nu, had been in the house. They couldn't pay the rent, mm -hmm. so they moved out. Yeah. Well, Dad said they finally negotiated where Ed B. Williams rented it to him for, I think, $75 a month. Mm -hmm. And so Dad moved in with us. Later, Ed V. Williams, unfortunately, he died. The bank called my father and said, we need to settle his estate. So Dad went up to the bank, and they said, well, now, how about the house? What would you like to have? Would you like to buy the house? Mm -hmm. Dad repeated he was not able. It was such depression days. Mm -hmm. He worked for little or nothing, writing articles for Saturday Evening Post and places like that. Mm -hmm. So they finally said, well, what would you give us? So Dad just took a big breath of air and said, I could give you $5,000 for that house that had 10,400 square feet. And they said, sold. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I got to grow up from second grade <clears throat> in a marvelous house. Yeah. So, so how did... How did like now you can you can write somewhere? You, it it seems more plausible to me in this day and age that you could be in Springfield and write for these big publications. How was he able to write for these big publications and be here? Well, he just this was his headquarters. Mm -hmm. He just said he was a Missourian. He had been in the legislature mm -hmm. and uh, also ran for Congress and was elected. So this was home to him mm -hmm. and. Uh, they would come to him. Yeah. They'd phone him and he'd call back. They'd just agree to let him go to Germany or anywhere in the world. Hmm. He went to Asia. And while he was a congressman, he went to Asia to um, look into the Korean War. That mm -hmm. was in the 1950s. Mm -hmm. So he bought his own ticket, no, no junket, and took a congressman with him, a Democrat named William Brindley. William Jennings Bryan Dorn. Okay. So Dorn was a Democrat. Dad was a Republican. Dad took him over there and they met with MacArthur. Yeah. MacArthur described what was going on in Korea. They met for nearly the whole morning. Then Dad excused himself to go on over to Korea where General MacArthur contacted General Ridgway to show him around. Meanwhile, the other congressman, Dorn, Flew on back to South Carolina. Dad went ahead to North Korea, to South Korea. Mm -hmm. And Ridgeway took him up to the battlefront so close that a shell blew out the windshield of their Jeep. 
So I have a little too close. Yeah. And a lot, a lot safer here. <laughs> then my father went ahead to tour to uh, um, no no I'm sorry to um, Taiwan mm -hmm. where Chiang Kai-shek had retreated with his army mm -hmm. to an island off the coast of China. Mm -hmm. And while he was there having a banquet with Chiang Kai-shek, came the word that MacArthur had been fired by Harry Truman. Yeah. So they were all depressed. They thought, surely this was the end of the world. So Dad had surmised from his knowledge of what was going on mm -hmm. <coughs> that this was the first of about three moves that Truman was about to make to settle the war in Korea. Mm -hmm. the, next, the next move would be to give Taiwan to Red China. Mm -hmm. And so Dad made a speech at that banquet. He said, the rumors you've heard, and this was all made up, mm -hmm. he had no knowledge of this, mm -hmm. said, well, the rumors you've heard are not true. Harry Truman would never give Taiwan to China, never would. Well, the reporters lurched forward, what's this, what's this? They hadn't heard it. So they phoned back to Washington to check it out. They went to Dean Hatch's and the Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. Are you going to give Taiwan to China? He had to deny it. So Dad intercepted that move, and they did not give Taiwan to China. <laughs> so I was really impressed and very proud of him. Yeah. Sounds like he had quite an impactful career. Oh, yes. <laughs> sure was. Yeah. So, um, so you're, you're growing up here. Kind of Depression era you know, leads into World War II. Yeah. Um, how old were you when... World War II began, or began here, I guess, with Pearl Harbor? I guess I was uh, 13 mm -hmm. when it began, and I remember Pearl Harbor. And uh, my father had been in touch and negotiated with the Chinese, with the Japanese delegation, including uh, two ambassadors who were here on assignment to try to negotiate a peaceful settlement or an alternative to war. Mm -hmm. And um, they were caught flat-footed. They didn't know the war was coming. Mm -hmm. But um, anyhow. You're saying your dad was work trying to negotiate with Japan yes, before Pearl Harbor? That's right. Wow. And, um, and um, so he was in touch with them. And uh, they, they said that the war was a complete surprise to them. Mm -hmm. So there we were. Well, Dad wrote an article in the newspaper saying, now we're in the war, we must win it. So he was completely loyal and devoted, but he was a peacemaker before mm -hmm. and was always a peacemaker. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I was in Japan later to occupy as an occupying troop, I went by to see, uh, sorry, I'm reaching for his name. Um, I can't recall it, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. But I found him in Tokyo. He was in his underwear. The Tokyo was completely burned. Mm -hmm. All that you could see were chimneys standing where the other houses had been for miles. And so I took his picture and brought it back. But it was a terrible scene. Yeah. So those are little tidbits of memory I have. Yeah. So rewind with me then. So you, so the war breaks out when you're when you're 13. Yeah. Um, how did you end up? Did you? 
did you enlist? Did yes, you I, I, I enlisted when I was 17 okay. in the Navy. And uh, then I had my 18th birthday while I was in training. Mm -hmm. And um, that was in 1945, mm -hmm. at the end of the war. The atomic bombs fell while I was still in training. Okay. So they sent me to San Diego and San Francisco both and ran me through an equipment line. They, I remember the chat today, the guy at the clerk's office said, put your ditty bag on your left shoulder. And then, so we marched down through an aisle and they were issuing equipment. They threw a helmet, combat boots, a carbine rifle, and all the army stuff had me, and I put it in the ditty bag and in my sack bag. And he said, I said, well, what's this? I'm in the Navy. He said, shut up, Swabby. You're going to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so they got on board the ship, and we took off for Japan. Mm -hmm. It was an adventure going over in a troop ship. 3,000 of us mm -hmm. on a troop ship. It was an old, old freighter. And we hit a typhoon. And I remember the ship was so small, it'd come up over a wave and then duck down into the trough of the next wave, and the propellers would come out of the water in the stern and rattle and rattle and then sink into the water again, and the nose would go boom into the next wave and wash over the decks. It was terrible. We could have been swept overboard, but yeah. we weren't. Yeah. We made it. So, so take me back to that then. The, the war has been this arduous, difficult thing. Yeah. And yeah. we kind of, I think, in looking back, we think, um, and then they dropped the bombs yes. uh, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, yes. and the war was over. But it wasn't. There was, there was still, um, was there still time from that to, to when the war actually ended? Actually, that was, a, yes, a few days. Just uh, a few days. Okay. Yeah, not, not much, yeah. but uh, they, um, the war was eventually just certainly over then. The Hirohito had his war cabinet meet and they would still wanted to fight the war even though two of the cities had been totally destroyed. Yeah. And Tokyo was worse than that. General LeMay with his fire bombs mm -hmm. just ruined Tokyo. And yeah. the fire swept the people into the bay and drowned many, many thousands. Mm. More than the atomic bombs killed. Really? Yes, sir. And um, so when, um, when we got over there, I was uh, expecting them to be hostile. Mm. All Americans would be if we were invaded by Japan. Mm -hmm. But they were the most generous and docile people. They would bow and hiss and, and wave their hand in front of their face, hustle, and just do anything we asked. Yeah. So we put our rifles away, and after about two weeks, and then we saw that they were still so docile, we started having them drive our trucks mm -hmm. to haul supplies. Before I left, we had Japanese guards over our supplies. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was amazing, just amazing. They were the wonderful people. Yeah. So what do you attribute that to? Because, because before that, they you know, oh, so yeah. tooth and nail, yeah. and now, now it flips. Almost. Yes, that flipped. They were like, "You beat us. We're your servants." Okay. And they were just 
It was an amazing thing, a foreign to us. Yeah. Something we never would expect. But um, General MacArthur worked very well with them. He was the commander of the entire peaceful move after the war. And he brought an American engineer over there who uh, taught them mass production techniques mm -hmm. and how to do, to do mass production. And they adopted those ideas totally and became the best production machines in the world. Mm -hmm. We did not even learn from them. We could have, but we didn't. So yeah. they took over the auto industry and it's been an amazing grace. Yeah, so so I also know like looking back, there's, it's looking back in hindsight, people are like, did they need to drop the atomic bombs? Oh yes, and, and oh yes. In the moment, in that, in that era, what was the feeling? Well, Americans were elated. Yeah. I was elated because it kept me from being an invader mm -hmm. with the huge casualty counts that would have come from trying to invade Japan mm -hmm. to a peaceful settlement after the bombs fell. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was grateful. And Japan, they seemed to accept it. Uh, it's an amazing thing. It's hard for us to get into that mindset. Mm -hmm. But... Um, but there we were, and so we just had a peaceful occupation. Yeah, yeah, and so how long were you there? Uh, over a year, okay. and um, then I came back in time for classes at Drury. Um, <laughs> let me think, 1947, I think it was. Okay, mm -hmm. and then um, what was that, was it hard to reacclimate after the war? No, not for me, it wasn't. Really. I um, was immediately in Drury College, got through in three years, and um, went to Northwestern for a master's. That was a great experience, too. And uh, so that's about yeah. all my college area. Yeah, so did, did, the, did that war experience, or like almost wasn't even war experience at that point, just on timing, did it, did it change you at all? I can't say it did. Yeah. Um, I was spared any fighting, never shot at anybody, mm -hmm. and um, was never shot at. Mm -hmm. So I'm a little embarrassed about being a veteran because I didn't do anything in the war mm -hmm. except occupy Japan. Yeah. But um, I was grateful that I came through it, of course. So yeah. many of my friends did not. Yeah. You know, my, my, my grandpa was in the Navy, and mm -hmm. he's there for for d-day and he was he was just kind of uh moving moving troops from from england to, the, right. to normandy and um and he always said like i'm not the hero the hero oh. are the ones who who perished absolutely yeah it seems like everyone has that yeah. that mindset sure yeah and so had you did you lose any friends from here yes yeah prescott's mm -hmm. uh, they were neighbors of ours and uh Busick, mm -hmm. doctor's son, was killed in uh, Luxembourg, I think, mm -hmm. and um, several others. Some were shot down and captured in Germany. Mm -hmm. So, do you, um, with the, with the hindsight of of twenty twenty, or like, has over the years has your impression of the war changed, or has it, or of war generally, as you've seen the country? in other skirmishes, I'm just well, curious kind of how. 
I was greatly disappointed in Korea. Yeah. Truman would not let them win the war. MacArthur wanted to win it. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to invade North Korea. And uh, Truman had a different idea. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to look back on it. I know he was conflicted, but, but I think that was a huge mistake. And we're still at war with Korea. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. But here, 60 years later, has it been 60? I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wars don't have clean, as no. clean endings as they, they used to. They not, not like they used to. Yeah. Okay, so you get back, you get back and you start jury and then make your way to Northwestern. And, and what's, your, what's your goal at that point? What are you wanting to do? Well, at that point, the Korean War was on. Mm-hmm. And I was a reservist and I was called back to Korea. Mm. But they wrote me a letter, and by the way, I'd become an ensign by then, by the mail and mm-hmm. some courses. And uh, they said they had all they needed, needed of my category, mm-hmm. which they did. So they didn't need me in Korean War. Okay. So I just sat it out. Yeah. And uh, my father went to Congress then. I went to Washington with him, and um, that was a great adventure. He did a lot of good things. And um, I was sort of floundering around and then found my way. Finding his way started with an internship in Coral Gables, Florida, and it sends him on the track of city planning in Dade County, Florida, to a city manager position in Winter Haven, Florida, and then to the same position in St. Augustine, Florida in the 60s. I was uh, city manager of St. Augustine. This was still in the 60s. Mm-hmm. I took over the city manager after the one that was there was fired from trying to cope with Martin Luther King's uh, uh, demonstrations okay. in St. Augustine, which were centered around a swimming pool in the downtown historic area. Mm-hmm. The black children were invited, to, were also involved and they would jump in the pool mm-hmm. and swim. Now, to the Floridians at that time, that was like polluting the pool. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible attitude. Mm-hmm. And police chief was a terrible police chief. Yeah. And he arrested them, threw them in jail, including the wife of a governor, and Martin Luther King and the whole bunch of them. And so of bad publicity. And finally, they got it settled, but they had a vacancy in the city manager, so I applied. Yeah, and that was one of the that was one of the um, the kind of forms of protest in the South. In that time, oh goodness, that yes, big demonstrations. Yes, sir. And well, so that was, and everything was uh, segregated. Mm-hmm. Everything. Mm-hmm. We had separate bathrooms. Yeah. You could not eat together. Yeah. And it was awful. Yeah, and so and, you get a, that sounds like, and so, so they, they do this uh, swimming pool protest, and then, and then everyone reacts like the worst possible way, it sounds that's like. That's right, that's exactly and so right. And they need to get rid of everyone. And right. You, you come in, that sounds like a hard, uh, sounds like your heart was in the right place, but that'd be a hard position to walk into. Well, it was think. terrible. I was uh, also involved in that in Winter Haven, mm-hmm. uh, because, but we had peaceful demonstrations mm-hmm. there. And uh, I had an excellent police detective in Winter Haven. And um, the demonstrators marched into our city 
came down to a park on a beautiful lake. And um, so Hamp Rogers was the detective's name. We had a big muscular looking vehicle with a garbage container, one of those trucks come to dump mm -hmm. on the top, no lid. And he had a camera and uh, a shotgun a hidden, but he would ride up on the top of that truck into the midst of the crowd with a bullhorn and plead with them not to get violent. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said that they're just going to be peaceful now, and he was able to keep the peace. So they backed off, and we did everything we could, met with them, so forth, had all kinds of ideas to help them with the transition from segregation to integration. Mm -hmm. And we were successful in Winter Haven, got through with only a one fist fight. Yeah. But um, in St. Augustine, it had been different. So had you, was that, um, so it sounds like you were on the, the right side of history and the right side of humanity with that. At that time, did you feel like, did, were you, did you feel out of place in the South in that sense? Like, well, I was to me, I had to do it. Yeah. So uh, I, um, I faced him down. I mean, the, the bigots were terrible. Mm -hmm. And um, so there were several things. I had a little convertible, and the, the town had been locked down. And there was an area where the blacks roamed their territory, and whites were down here. Well, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I got in my convertible and drove slowly right up through that area, mm -hmm. just say, look, fellas, I'm here. And they didn't throw any rocks or anything at me. Mm -hmm. So that was a successful demonstration. I tried to show them that we could live in peace. Yeah. Tough times. I imagine so. In St. Augustine, <clears throat> we um, had less luck. The police chief had grown up through the ranks. Just back when they would club and do all kinds of hay men, hay, mayhem. And um, <clears throat> so he was not a good police chief, bad police chief. Mm -hmm. I tried to get rid of him. That cost me my job. Mm. And um, so... We had a different experience in St. Augustine. So it's got to be hard in that environment. Oh, yeah. To, to boldly do the right thing. Still hurts. Does it? Because you lost your job as a result of that oh, showdown? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we, um, I tried to fire the police chief. It's my job to do that if he needs to be fired. Mm -hmm. But the, the city council was split. I had two votes to three votes against me. So I had to just re get resign. But during the time, I suggested we have a professional study of the police department by the National Association of Chiefs of Police. Mm -hmm. a well-known group in Washington. So they sent 
The council agreed to it. They sent it a fine man down from there, and he interviewed me and then the police chief and so forth. But the time I had resigned had come, and I had to get out before the report was complete. I've regretted that a lot because I thought the consultant was on to what he needed to be on. He found the complete report, about 100 pages, and he gave it to city council right after I left. Well, the police chief was heard going down the hall, waving that report, said, Armstrong wrote this. Armstrong wrote it. Ooh. It was a consultant's words. Mm -hmm. And uh, he agreed in every way with me. Yeah. But the um, police chief stayed and stayed there for many years. Wow. Next city manager just had to live with him. So, um, but... Um, that has to be hard to have to um, move on from that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Terrible. So... Um, Do you take any solace now knowing that, like, you're doing the right oh, thing? Oh, I take or? solace in that, yes, but yeah. it still hurts. I'd rather have been a successful long-term city yeah. manager. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine so. I am really struck by O.K.'s integrity and convictions, and also how he still, this many years later, has regrets and feels those hurts still. I appreciate his authenticity, so I decided to wrap it up with some of his advice. So, what have you? What did you learn, like, in the, the entirety of your career? What did you learn about city management, or or just about? Um, uh, what did you learn about work? You know, about work ethic and all that stuff. Well, I appreciate the question. Um, I didn't come out well. I, I lost part of my zip. Mm -hmm. um, they just wrung it out of me, I think. And yeah. um, I just didn't have thick enough skin. Um, I was in the midst of a lot of fights and um, just wouldn't give way and wouldn't compromise, so I'm out. Mm -hmm. And um, I learned that. If you want to get out of city management, just be stubborn. <laughs> so I, so here I am. I'm in the middle of my career. I'm 40. I have two young kids and a wife. And um, part of what I, part of what I struggle with is knowing how to prioritize my energy, prioritize my time, especially now that I have kids, where I'm just kind of, I feel like I'm always pulled in different directions. But I want to do it really well, and I want to look back on my life and be like, I think I did that right. And, um, but I, I find myself getting consumed with work things or consumed with other things. Like, do you have any advice for someone my age or for you wish you could have told your younger self or something like that? Well, of course, I wish I'd spent more time with my children. Mm -hmm. um, they were so sweet. I had a son and a daughter. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I remember well the days in St. Augustine where I would go get my daughter at school. She was in kindergarten. And we would walk down through the parks of St. Augustine, and she would skip along the wall, and we just had such a sweet time. Mm -hmm. So I, all I'd say to you is I think you're on the right track. You're aware of your need, and mm -hmm. they're not going to be little kids long. Yeah. So you need to stay with them and just be your da their daddy. Yeah. They'll love you for it. Yeah, that's wonderful. All right, anything else you want to add? 
Do you think I, I didn't cover that you were like, oh, I should say this? No, I don't think so. Uh, you caught me at a time in my life, which is a declining time. <laughs> I appreciate your courtesy in asking me these questions. I hope I've done you well. Well, there you have it, the story of O.K. Armstrong. You can tell that he really cared about his career, about doing a good job, about doing it with integrity. And I found it interesting, a lot of people his age, but he, he was young during the, during the Depression, a soldier as World War II was winding down, and then in his career in the Civil Rights era in the South. That's a lot in one lifetime, right? The New Hips artwork is created by Tyler Snodgrass. The music came from the Jin X Group's album Songs for Liz. I'm Jeff Houghton for The New Hip from the Make Something City, Springfield, Missouri. Go into the wind. Go into the wind.